0: On Facebook. Uh, It is Wednesday, December 2nd. We're already in December. You believe that? It's the end of the year. It's finalizing 21. Uh, I have special guests, Jimbo Balaam. And uh, a lot of you may know and a lot of you may not know. So we're here to kind of go into Jimbo's background and who he is and and what he's done in the industry. And Jimbo's been in the industry uh, and an operating detailer for 12 years since 2008. Uh, Literally, we were just talking about it in uh, May of 2008. He got started and I got started in June. So we're a month off in regards to getting into the industry and having the track record that's brought us here today, of course. Uh, But he's also somebody who is a product consultant and, you know, he dived into his own podcast in the 2014 timeframe, and he has his own um, auto detailing podcast and you can look that up. And of course he'll give you the the links and platforms once we finish up this podcast. And then, um, you know, YouTube you know he's been involved with that and doing product reviews and product testing and so he's he's got his hands in a lot of different things which is one of the topics we'll cover in regards to different streams of revenue to say and this is a perfect example of that with Jimbo so Jimbo um, thank you and welcome and why don't you go ahead and give us a little background on on how you got started and why you got started in in this wonderful world of detailing
1: Yeah, man, it's so nice to be on this side of the microphone, you know, (laughs) what it hasn't been four or five years in a row that we met up at SEMA and I interviewed you. And now uh, when Julio reached out and is like, hey, can Justin interview you? I'm like, dude, for sure. We got great chemistry. I always have a great time. So thank you for uh, taking the time out of your day to interview just another detailer like me. I appreciate it. So uh, I wish we could be doing it in person, but whatever. This will have yeah, to do, I guess. This
0: will have to do. We are above and beyond social distancing at this yeah.
1: point. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So at least we don't have our mask on. Anyway, yeah. uh, I won't go there. So uh, where did it all begin? I, you know, Growing up, I always knew that I wanted to own my own business. I just didn't know what that business would be. In fact, I always knew that I wanted to own multiple businesses, uh, but that was the extent of the thought. Like, yeah, one day I'm going to own multiple businesses. It was like, well, what industry doing what I had no idea, so um, when I was 17, uh, 17, 18 years old was when I first got like my first nicer to me car, uh, and so and I had a payment on that car and for That's like whatever five re-
0: years
1: ago right <laughs> yeah, yeah, a couple <laughs> years ago, um, yeah you can't see my gray hair on this mic, I must have a good filter on um, and so uh, so when I got that car, it had a payment, and for whatever reason, I just automatically like, okay, if I'm going to have a payment on this car, this car is never going to be dirty. I I don't know why I thought that, where that even came from or whatever. So that was kind of my first like dive into keeping my car clean. And it was just with store bought products. Um, And then, but I constantly had this thought in the back of my head of, of, you know, I'm going to own my own business one day. And uh, I was doing the whole school route, going to community college, hated it Uh, But that, you know, back in 2007, 2008, I graduated high school 2006. So I guess I started, that would be 2006. I kind of started messing around with cleaning my own car um, and kind of diving into that. And back then the route was you went to college after high school because you needed to get a good job and a real job. Yeah. And so that was the way, right? Standard American way. That was what my older sister did. That was the plan for me. And I hated school. It was horrible. Uh, And at night, I was working at a restaurant as like a busboy food runner. And as I got more and more into kind of cleaning my own car, and that was the early days of YouTube as well. I think I joined YouTube in October 2006. Uh, Obviously, didn't get deep into actually producing content for YouTube until 12 years later. Unfortunately, it's one of my mistakes that I made. Uh, But so I started really diving into videos on cleaning your car and detailing on YouTube uh, around that time. And then I had the epiphany one day of like, hmm, I wonder if this could be a business. You know, I'm like, I hate going to school. Um, I love cleaning cars. The job I have is great, but it's all nights and weekends. And so that kind of sucks because I'm tired of working Thursday through Sunday night you know, and then going to school Monday through Thursday, just kind of, I was getting kind of tired of it and didn't really like it anyway. And so I thought, you know what, maybe this is a business, like this whole cleaning a car thing. Let me see if I can, you know, get some business going. And so I thought, well, who do I know that has money? And so I started with, you know, friends and family, predominantly family. uh, And then the managers at my restaurant, I just assumed they had money because they were managers, right? Yeah. And so actually my very first paying customer uh, was a manager at the restaurant that I worked at. Um, And so from there, from literally the thought of like, I wonder if this is a business to researching on Craigslist and buying my first mobile trailer uh, in May of 2008 is when I officially bought that. Um, And literally I bought it on a Wednesday. On That Thursday I was doing my uh, girlfriend's parents' cars at the time. And I drafted up like this three, this little, you know, printed word doc of like a couple different packages uh, and printed out like 25 of them. And as I was doing my girlfriend's parents' cars, the day, literally the day after I purchased the trailer, they happened to live on like a corner lot house and a track. And I got a neighbor stopped and said, hey, do you do detailing? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course I do, you know, and uh, literally scheduled her for the following day. And then it was just kind of off to the races. I was like, okay, I guess I'm, you know, I guess this is a business now. And so made a ton of mistakes, uh, did a bunch of things wrong, learned how to clay bar on YouTube, uh, which is interesting if you think about it then. But again, I had that mentality of no barriers. Yeah, but I'm going to do this.
0: YouTube then was a little bit more of uh, rich and genuine information. Yes. Now where it's become a lot more watered down. And that's that's right in a respectful way.
1: Right. Yep. So, yeah, it was much, much different than you could actually get factual information. Right. Versus um, and I wish I could find that video that I watched. Who knows who was by or what it was, but it gave me the general idea of what a clay bar would do. Um, and so from there, I just tried to leverage, uh, you know, family and friends. And, uh, my mom had a friend that worked at a corporate office building that was close by that they used to have a car washer come by and he stopped coming for whatever reason. And so that was one of my first, uh, regular accounts, I guess, a fleet account. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of snowballed from there, joined a networking group that helped a lot. Um, and yeah, just, so you just kept
0: plugging 100%. away and trying to find every outlet where somebody would be willing to let you work, you know, and detail their vehicle. 100%. Now, once you reached that friends and family bubble and, and you've got most of those already under your wing at that point, um, I know that you said you had mentioned with, uh, with an account that you grabbed, did you start to see a little bit of a transition or gray area to where once friends and family were out of the way, now it's onto the real world money? And, and did you see a little bit of a dipping point and have to grow from there and it had its own obstacles?
1: So, yes, th- that happened a few times. So when I after I got out of the initial like friends and family, I was doing a lot of corporate office buildings. So, you know, only mobile detailing and really, you know, showing up to uh, an office building that I could do five or six, seven cars was kind of my sweet spot uh, in, in the beginning. And I had you know, one of those every day, sometimes twice a day, I would go to, you know, and I called those like fleet accounts. They weren't dealerships or anything like that. They were personal people's cars while they were working. And so that was cool for a long time. Uh, And then the problem became, so that was like my first transition out of like friends and family. And I picked up a lot of those from the networking group that I was in. So a lot of these people were insurance agents or tax people or CPAs or, um, uh, uh, their friends were, you know, like I had um, one guy, his friend was the um, like head of procurement at uh, the Carl's Jr. Corporation or Hardee's for people, you know, and mm-hmm. they, um, their corporate offices were right by me. And so I was referred to that, you know, head of procurement at Carl's Jr. to do their uh, employees' cars as an employee benefits program. Um, at the Carson or corporate offices, which oh, sounds nice. which sounds awesome, it's actually horrible. <laughs> and and that's what I came to find out about these fleet accounts is horrible. Is that there's no differentiator between you and the last guy who was there every Thursday, other than this, other than the money, right? Yeah. And so it's a it's a total price war to the bottom. And it's cool because it's reoccurring work, but it's real crappy work. It's basically just car washes. They want it done for as cheap as possible. And most people can't tell the difference between you and the guy that used to be there and the guy that's going to be there after you. And so that was kind of the second evolution of like, how do I get out of this? Like, how do I say no to... Uh, this consistent work that is low paying and then how do I jump into the, I guess you could call it like the retail market of higher paying, higher quality customers, uh, but maybe not as frequently as every week or every two weeks or maybe not as, um, you know, kind of how I looked at it at the time was, okay, if I get a a regular retail customer, I may only see them every three to four months versus every week or two, like I'm currently seeing people, though they'll spend more as the retail client, I probably need more of them initially to fill my schedule. And then once I have enough of those retail customers, I'll have them on rotation every three or four months and I'll eventually get to a nice cycle. But it's going to take me to use your term like that gray area. I'm going to have a time in between there where it feels like a little bit of a desert while I get people up and going. Um, so yeah, See, and I
0: feel I feel most people in that situation would probably get discouraged, uh, as to where you know some discouragement leaves the motivation. And your case, right. it did in regards to you know the mindset, you know the evolution of mindset and being more calculated and basically being from discouraged to proactive, right? And and figuring out okay, how do I make this puzzle of business work and work for me and what I wanted to do versus just coming in every day for the same accounts day right. in and day out, day in and day out an overwork and overwork in an underpaid scenario.
1: Totally. I like
0: it. I dig and, it.
1: Yeah. And, you can, and you lose those accounts too. And that happened to me a couple of times. Um, you know, one time in particular, I had a use. I did have a used uh, car dealership that specialized in Porsches. Um, and that account I serviced uh, every week, I believe. It was pretty much just washes, but it accounted for 1500 bucks a month, right? And to me, that was a lot of money. Yeah. And I remember when I lost that account and I was like, crap, how am I gonna make up this fifteen hundred bucks a month? You know, with I, I'm gonna have to have how many customers to make up this fifteen hundred bucks? And you gotta remember, this is pre- ceramic coating world.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Things were much different than your hustle was much stronger back then.
1: Much different. I remember, <laughs> I remember I did a podcast one time, this is a little tangent with Jason Rose and he was talking about his first thousand dollar detail. And I remember listening to that and be like, man, how do you rack up a thousand bucks for a yeah. detail in a pre-coating world, you know, in this, in this current climate that we're in with, with coatings or even PPF, like you are like a fifteen hundred dollar detail is you can get there quick, yeah. you know. But when you're talking about just shampooing, clay barring, and machine polishing, it takes a lot to get there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it does.
1: So yeah.
0: So after the uh, after the the situation of you know kind of you know not necessarily losing the fleet, I think feel like you just more or less graduated because, like you said, there's many people that would have came in and, and taken that spot, and most of them probably wouldn't have noticed the difference. So it was more of a personal. You know, probably attachment because you had that account and you right. look forward to that money versus it actually being the best business move you could have made.
1: 100%. It, it wasn't, it, it came down to running a business like that in that market is not sustainable because there's nothing that differentiates you. And and that's, that's the hardest part is like, well, can you do it for 20? Because the last guy did. And it's like, or the car wash down the street has the unlimited monthly for 30 bucks. And you want to charge me 30 bucks per time? Like, why would I do that? And so there's, there's, there's no differentiator. And it's grueling work. I mean, it's when you have to do think about it, if you're charging 25 bucks a car, you do 10 cars, you only made 250 bucks. Like, not to sound like a pompous ass, but that may be really good money for a lot of people, but it's not sustainable to do that. Right. And and you really can't grow a business, pay proper taxes, uh, go to places like SEMA, uh, have nice shirts and hats and branded material and the latest tools. It's extremely difficult to do that on something like 200 bucks a day. Yeah. You know,
0: presentation is everything
1: presentation personal, is personal
0: your business everything that the aura of who you are and what you represent as your brand has to be t-top i mean everything has to be
1: 100 yeah 100 percent. especially in this and even down to your website and your yelp profile and your socials it's like that's what people are looking at you know yeah. that's what people are seeing so that's i i just started to realize like you know what um So not only that, that was part of it, but also like, man, if I'm not out doing a car, I'm not making any money. Like, that's a problem. I get sick and I'm out for three days. Like, I'm at zero revenue for those three days, you know, and that's fine when you're living at home. Uh, with your mom and dad. But when, as you know, when you bring a kid into the world and you got a wife and, you know, you want to buy a house, you want to expand, yeah. you want to do financial all this. Financial
0: responsibilities.
1: You got all these financial responsibilities that come in and it's like, man, all right, I got to figure something out, you know? And that's what started to happen of like, I can't, I literally can't go do a fleet account because it's not enough money. No. <laughs>
0: Not at you all. Know. And then when you have that three days out, you can't call the bill collector and be like, "Hey, I was sick for three days. Yes. Can you guys just give me some leeway or defer right. a payment?" They're gonna be like, "Uh uh-uh.
1: uh." Uh uh. Or hey, what if you want to go on vacation? You know, yeah. it's like I want to take a week off, and it's like I can't. You know, that sucks. And then you can't work on your business because you're too busy working in your business. And so it it, it became this like really horrible cycle to try to break out of, of like, I got to go to work to make money. Cause if I don't make money, I can't feed the family, but really I need to work in my business or I need to work on my business so I could grow my business, but I can't cause I got to go do that. And it just became this, this like really bad cycle. Um, I will say though, the good thing is, is that I had a ton of time to listen to audiobooks and podcasts and really learn, um, you know, really take that who what do they call it? Like the Automobile University? You know, I really took that to the next level because I could fit in literally eight hours of of either podcast or audiobooks a day. You know, and most audiobooks are six to eight hours, so I'm like, shoot, I was burning through books, burning through podcasts, and so that kind of fed all these ideas um, and led into in 2014 me starting my own podcast because I'm like, that was just a a total uh go at okay i want to give back to the community for all this information that i have but also i need an additional revenue stream man i'm i'm literally drowning out here like this isn't sustainable i got to figure something else out i got to become relevant on the internet you know and so that's really what what spurred that you know and that was a nights and weekends hustle you know and even
0: with that i mean like you said you know taking the the downtime and being proactive and basically education knowledge is power 100%. and that's where a lot of people they hit a wall because they don't feel that they need it or they don't have time for it and listen there's always time it's you it's the time management that you exercise that makes a difference and 100%. if you're not exercising that then no you're not going to have time and you're going to make excuses but when the bills come there's no excuses and yep. and that's the that's the thing that makes the difference between somebody who who's a hustler or entrepreneur versus right. you know the guy that just goes in, clocks in, clocks out, and that's yep. it, the mediocre lifestyle.
1: I, I think so. I, that was always something for me. Like if I was just, I I was, I could never be an employee because I'd be the wor- world's worst employee. <laughs> and I've tried it too. I, you know, during tough times, I've gone back to try to get a job uh, somewhere else. And one time I even landed a job and, and did that on the side too. And I was like the world's worst employee because I just saw all the efficiencies in the business and, uh, you know, had that thought of like, uh, it'd be much better if I was just running this place, you yeah. know?
0: <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, that's the mindset, though. You know, a lot of people don't get to transition or evolve into that mindset. Right. In their whole life, they may go that way. But unfortunately, you know, it's, it's perspective one and two good mentorship and then three education. You know, right. education, which should be probably at the top of the list. But yeah, and taking the time to to educate yourself with the proper, you know, the proper, you know, the books, all the stuff that actually means something that has value to it, you know, because you could feed your body crap, too. But if you totally. feed your body the good stuff, then you, you're solid or your brain, I should say.
1: Totally, totally. And I made, you know, I could have made looking back now and knowing what I know now to then I could have been a better business owner. And probably been more profitable with those fleet accounts and really utilized it to my advantage and just didn't, at the time, I didn't have the tools or the resource or, or the knowledge to do that. You know, something as simple as just having a good CRM, you know, and, and keeping track of my customers and and maybe running specials or trying to upsell or, you know, that, looking back on it, there was definitely things that I failed big time at that I could have done better that would have probably made my business better. But again, in the moment, you're kind of stuck in that cycle, you that's know, okay,
0: because that's the common stories to success. You got to scrape your knees often and fail in order to be ha- and learn how to be more successful. Yep. The next step you make. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent.
1: Yep. So it's been a journey. Yeah. So <laughs> with,
0: with, uh, with the, with the podcast now that is full blown. I mean, what, what led you into, you know, furthermore with, you know, getting into the YouTube and, and what, what led you into doing product reviews and what was that that, yep. interested, that interested you to, to go that route?
1: So with the podcast, the podcast was really about starting to establish kind of myself on this thing called the internet, you know, and, and it's funny because in 2014, I felt like so late to the party with the podcast that I was like, there's no way And actually my first thought was like, I would start some sort of, it's almost embarrassing to admit it now, but like, I would start some sort of business podcast. Right. And I was talking to a guy one day, actually a partner, I still have Pete. And I was like, man, I really want to start a podcast. These guys are killing it in with business podcasts monetarily. And I really want to start a podcast. I just have no idea what I would talk about, you know? And he looked at me like puzzled, like you idiot. And that's what he actually said. He's like, you're an idiot. I'm like, why? He's like, don't, haven't you been detailing for like six years? I'm like, yeah, but at the time I was kind of like, I want to get out of it. I'm kind of burnt out on it. I mean, literally have done thousands upon thousands of cars, um, by that point, because it was an, an average day, I would do 10 cars, you know, that was really an average day for me, five, six days a week. You know, I was just touching an insane amount of cars. And so, um, I, I, And because of that, I had to learn tips and tricks and hacks to get around things to become more efficient and more profitable. And so he was like, dude, you have all this information about car detailing. Why don't you just talk about what you already know? Why don't you just talk about the issues that you um, come across day to day? And I was like, okay. I mean, yeah, I'm still in it. So it's easy to talk about. You know, I can talk about whatever just happened that day. And so that's where it all started was I literally just recorded like, you know, I remember one of my earliest podcasts were like, hey, I broke an air vent or a customer accused me of breaking his air vent in his car. Here's how I handled it. That's it. Like, here's how I clean a rim. That's it. Like basic stuff. And so I went to go start researching before I, I started recording stuff. And then I went to go research like, okay, what do, I want, what do I want to call this thing? And I'm not very creative when it comes to names. You know, my detailing business is Jimbo's Auto Detailing you know, it's not like I'm not creative when it comes to name, naming things. Right. So the only thing I could think of is like auto detailing podcast. And I'm like, that's so basic that has to be taken. And it wasn't. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my moment. Like how does no one have auto detailing podcast? So, uh, I just started the auto detailing podcast. Like that was it, you know, and I started literally recording on my phone and, and, you know, learned, um, about Libsyn and podcast hosting and, And at the same time, like website building and, you know, the difference between my knowledge with the internet was so limited. I didn't know that you had to have a hosting service that was separate from your URL. Like to me, I was like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And then how do I get these recordings off my phone, onto the computer, into this like audio hosting thing? It was just like, I didn't know any of it. Right. Yeah. And I also didn't have a computer that was very good. In fact, there was a hand-me-down old MacBook Pro from my at the time brother-in-law that had to stay plugged into the wall, or else if it became un- uncharged, <laughs> the computer would turn off. So it was just a nightmare <laughs> at the time. I had Two but young you kids. you made it work. <laughs> I made it work, right? But it was horrible, and there was a lot of lot of late nights, early mornings, trying to figure out this podcast thing. Um, and I hear then. That you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and then no one knew me at the time. I was, I wasn't involved in any forms. Uh, it wasn't Facebook groups weren't what they were now. what uh, weren't what they are now. Uh, I was literally a single man mobile detailer in orange County, California. Like I didn't know anyone. And so I was like, well, who's going to listen to my podcast because I don't know anyone, you know, and no one knows me. So why would they listen? And so uh, I started reaching out on Facebook and th- the internet of like, hey, I got this you know, thing called the podcast going. Would you be interested in letting me interview you? And uh, some people said yes. I think Scotty Perkin uh, was my first guest that said yes. Um, and I remember the first day I launched, I think I had seven downloads uh, when I announced that Scott... Scott was coming on the show. I think I had 21 downloads that day. And I was just like over the moon. I was like, oh my gosh, man, I got something here. This is crazy. Uh, And little by little, just tried to interview people um, or just try to find people that had a little bit of a following that would maybe share my interview with them. Uh, And it was actually more difficult than it sounds because a lot of people didn't know what a podcast was. And they they didn't know who I was. They didn't know what a podcast was. And they were like, I don't get it. Like, no, sorry. And so uh but little by little it just it started to pop, you know. And so, how many
0: podcast uh episodes do you have under your belt?
1: I think I have so I would say close to five hundred.
0: You feel yeah. that you've 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 been able to get every guest that was on your list?
1: So, yes, so And that's what kind of led into the YouTube thing was that I, I kind of got to the point where I had everyone that I like dreamed of having on, right. I had the Justin Lobato's of the world, right. I had the Jason Rose's of the world, (laughs) you know, I had Barry McGuire on the show and it was like, I, I kind of got to a point of like, i like. I don't know who else to have. I can have a lot of smaller guys and that's great too, because I think everyone has something to give. Right. Yeah. But, but there was no one like at the pinnacle. I remember thinking like, crap, I kind of reached like, once I had Barry McGuire on the show, I was like, I, I don't know who else is above him, you know, like, and so, and maybe I'm just ignorant and there is someone above him. I don't know, but, no. Uh, no but
0: that's your, that's your perspective. It's your show. You know, that's that's what you view things as and that's what makes it your show.
1: So it got difficult. So then I started looking at the YouTube crowd, you know? And I was like, well, let me start going after some of these YouTubers and have them, right? cause they have big followings too. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I had uh, Pan on the show. I had Scott with Dallas Paint Correction when he was doing stuff. I had Darren with Auto Fetish on um, back in the day when he was really putting out stuff. And so I, I started developing relationships with all these YouTubers and they were making some serious money, you know? And, and the podcast was, and still doesn't really make money but it gives a lot of access. Right, so I have access to a lot of people, which in turn, if you work it right, can lead to money. Right, opportunities. Opportunities. So, but with the YouTube thing, it was like, hold on, these guys are making like cash, like instantly, almost, you know. And I'm like, it, the more I, the more I talk to them, the more I interview these guys, I was like, there's an opportunity here, you know, uh, of bringing my skill set onto the YouTube scene as well. And so the problem was is that. By then, that was 2018, 17, 18. By then, you know, the standard like how to detail a vehicle was so saturated, it was ridiculous, right? And there was, I, I needed a differentiator, right? Going yeah. back to that, I needed a differentiator and I didn't know what to do. And so I thought, I started looking outside the detailing industry and do other arenas, other, whether it be beauty or Uh, coffee culture or even car culture, just outside of detailing to like, what is working for other industries on YouTube that for whatever reason, the detailing industry hasn't picked up on. And one of the things that was working really well was cheap versus expensive. And I was like, you know what, that gives me a great framework to work within. Uh, It's easy. I could find a cheap product. I could find an expensive product, you know, and just compare the two and whatever. And so I think one of the first ones I did was a phone Canon and the video just like instantly took off. And I was like, yeah, okay. I remember I think, that one. Yeah, I think I'm on something here. <laughs> so then I I kind of bled that to death, uh, the cheap versus expensive. And so uh now it's trying to find, you know, cheap versus expensive still works and product reviews still work, but when something like COVID hits and production issues come in or a brand stop releasing new products as often, or we don't have a show like SEMA to go to and kind of you know, uh create ideas, it becomes more and more difficult to to uh produce videos of good value and good content. You know, so that's kind of something I'm dealing with right now is like um you know keeping the content fresh and interesting and And it becomes a race
0: because others that are downtime are are getting the same ideas because they're watching you and others pioneer this right on these avenues and they're like oh why can't I do that?
1: Right. And they can and there's people that are 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 doing way better than I do. Right. And, and, um, a lot of people right now are jumping onto that, like the dirtiest detail ever, uh, craze that's working really well on YouTube right now. I wish and,
0: I, I saw pictures from some of those myself, but it's like,
1: dude, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, you know how many of those cars yeah, I've done? I don't even yeah. want to do it. And that's yeah. the funny,
0: <laughs> I got PTSD when I look at those pictures.
1: 100%. Yeah, uh. <laughs> Dude, exact. I was telling my wife about it. I'm like, man, these guys are killing it with these like super dirty cars. I'm like, but I literally have PTSD from doing those. Like, I, I can't do it. That is such crap work, you know? And I get it. They're making a ton of money on YouTube for doing it, but I'm like, it, it just sucks. That so works sex.
0: Why we're on that topic, what's the worst one that you could remember? Just give me the worst one and I'll give you mine after you tell me.
1: So, so the worst one I was doing, there's a retirement community, uh, by where I live, uh, called Leisure World and it's like a 55 plus whatever, and so I always get busted every time I go in there because they don't like people detailing or washing cars there. Right. So every time I go there, I'm, I like get in trouble with security. But I was kind of hiding out this one time doing more of a favor for this lady and I'm steaming the inside of her car and I, I kind of blindly like steam underneath her seat, you know? And I'm like, ooh, I, I like catch a whiff of something like that doesn't, that doesn't smell good. <laughs> so I am I keep steaming like, okay, let me get this out. And then I finally look under there and I find out later her dog had barfed and it went underneath her seat. And as I was like steaming it, it was heating it up and like, you know, breaking it down and bringing it back up. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like the smell was so bad i i i just i had to stop i was just like this is disgusting i'm somewhere where i don't even want to be they don't want me here on top of that i'm steaming dog barf like but barf is normal too it's but i would almost rather take human barf over dog barf it was horrible but what was yours
0: so i had and this was you know because of having a shop it was it was something that i already looked at and was willing to take on but My early years, I was the guy that took on jobs that nobody else would in town, especially with dirty interiors. So this one came in. It was a early to mid uh, 2000s Lincoln town car and had some outside work on it, which was standard. And but the inside that it was an infestation, German cockroaches, along with just disgusting kids. (laughs) Gives me like the chills. Nastiness, (laughs) completely gutted. And had to wear gloves, wore a mask because when I pulled the seats and the floorboard carpet, there was so much dead roaches and roach feces. Oh, it was my gosh. The floor pan of the vehicle interior that was just absolutely disgusting. And when I pulled that carpet, I was playing hopscotch on roaches in my bay.
1: Oh, until my this gosh. day,
0: I realized that, you know, especially after explaining that to, you know, going through trainings and, you know, talking to people right. and granny about it, that should have been a whole. Insurance totally. claim, you know, totally. write off kind of scenario. But yeah, that was probably by far one of the most disgusting ones. I mean, we Ugh. basically gutted everything we could other than the dash and the headliner and <sighs> bombed it cleaned it and hit it with i don't even know what disinfectant it was like 2009 2010 yeah it was available at the local you know probably Kipo like pro Lowe's. product oh yeah yeah, Zep yeah. probably yeah. still yeah yeah back uh, then auto uh, uh whatever it was odor ban or whatever yep. yep but um yeah that was that was the worst one and Horrible. I, I tried to get as much as i could for it and i took and documented plenty of pictures because that's one of the biggest things right is you can yeah. talk about it but if you don't have pictures.
1: Right. Didn't happen. Nobody
0: could, nobody could visualize it unless you explain it in a way that's like storytelling where they get all into their imagination. Totally. Yeah. That was the worst one, but yeah. And that's, that's where, you know, when I was taking on things like that, I, I I lived and learned that that's not the direction I want to go.
1: Yeah. But I mean, like you said, you were the guy that did cars that no one else was willing to do, you know? And I think that's, that's one important thing that people can take away. Like if you're just starting, you got to, you got to do the crap work man yeah like that's just how it goes like call it trenches call it whatever you want to call it but like i you don't start at the top no no and this is
0: like you said before this was before coatings i mean this was right i was lucky to get you know the outside where i could do a good wax job you know for the most part if anything they weren't even paying for polishing they just wanted a good cleaner wax they were willing to spend all their money on the interior so if i could capitalize on that and get the, squeeze the most out of it for the, for the dollar amount for the job. So be it. And that's, that's kind of what my reputation was built on in the beginning was interiors. And then it, of course, coatings came around and things started to make a great transition.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which, which has been awesome, right? Coatings have been, have been great. And I think, yeah, yeah. And you're still
0: juggling overall between both still operating and detailing along with these other ventures that you've been successful at.
1: Yep. So one thing that I, another I think you nailed it in the beginning when you talked about kind of these gray areas or or these transition times um you know and that was yet another transition time for me was kind of walking away from mobile detailing. And as uh what was happening is as I just got busier with uh you know podcasts or YouTube or a little bit of product consulting that I do um I needed a, and then I had three kids and I was I lived across the street from a school. And so I was trying to record like these YouTube videos in between like detailing and recess and lunch and like, you know, me trying to go work and detail cars. And I'm like, crap, this is too difficult. Like this is getting ridiculous. I need a shop or I need a studio. Uh, But it was really at a time where I didn't know if I could afford to make that jump to have like this. It sounded so bougie to me at the time, like, oh, you're just going to have like this man cave that you go hang out at. And, you know, and detailed stuff's not cars and, and detail cars. <laughs> like, come on, dude, who are you? You know? And so I ended up making the jump, though, and getting a small shop, uh, an office warehouse shop. It was like eleven 1, hundred square feet. Uh, and so I, that helped to, one, get me out of my house because uh, things started getting weird, too, where people would comment like, oh, dude, I know where you live. And it was like, uh, nah, nah. <laughs> like, it's like, I'll like eat dinner, like, what yeah. do you need? <laughs> and no one, no one showed up. But it, just that thought of like, this is where my kids are yeah. like, this is get i i nothing ever happened i just didn't want it to get to the point where yeah. something potentially happened you never know so i needed to get out of the house and that was on top of like people saying that, what do you live across do you live like where do you live man i could just hear kids screaming all the time you know <laughs> like a
0: playground in the background all the like time. a playground and
1: it literally was like right across the street don't worry so, i got
0: rid of my white van when i closed down my mobile detail <laughs>
1: Exactly. So so I got that small office warehouse and then I started doing like, you know, bringing car, doing more of a fixed location detailing operation uh, and uh, have since moved to a bigger shop um, to kind of help give me like almost a home base to where I do all these operations at. And so mobile detailing has completely gone to the wayside. Uh, And I still take on cars here on Friday. I'm doing a coding on a Tesla model Y here. And I've really started to limit how much detailing I do uh, because it just, I have other things that are more profitable that I do still in the detailing industry. Um, and so I just, I charge more to do cars and I'm a little bit more exclusive if you want to use that term. Um, but I will say having a shop is completely next level and just talk about uh you know, I think I would have made the jump in the transition way sooner um, because the impression and the the atmosphere that you can create at a shop um, that a customer can see is just totally different than mobile detailing. And Absolutely. you can command more money. Um, it's much nicer to have a toilet that you can utilize at any time. Um, you can, have, you know, it, the, con- the controlled environment of having a small shop is just something that you can't have mobily, you know, and and it's, I I just think you can command more money. Uh, No one negotiates price ever with me at a shop, which has been very weird because I'm totally used to that all the time with mobile. Everyone negotiates and everyone wants a better price at a shop. It never happens to me, which is really weird. Um, So yeah, I would have moved to a shop long ago.
0: Yeah, and there's you know a lot of limitations with with mobile, you know, you have everything at your fingertips in a shop you may not have on your on your you know your work van or truck. Uh you you know weather, that's always the biggest factor. Totally. You know, you always have work when you have a shop whether it's raining, snowing, whatever it may be. Totally. And there's definitely a lot of pros and cons and there's there's different levels to the detail industry, right? And every level has its right. way of playing out. It's the choice that you make to play at what on what field you want to play on
1: and sometimes you have to work through the levels right yes sometimes yeah. you can't afford to to just start at a shop you know no
0: no because that's a lot of overhead and if you don't a lot have capital
1: you can yeah. crash and burn fast oh you yeah. know and so hurt
0: your name local market it does yeah. it
1: does you know but it's it's uh yeah having a shot it's just so nice
0: <laughs> well now with that too now you've you know, limited yourself to being more exclusive, which is right, because yeah. that's where the industry has evolved to. I feel like there's a lot of, and I give kudos to and credit to a lot of those in the detail industry that have taken and, and making the jump to a shop like you did, but also have dressed up their shop. You know, at right. the beginning, it was more like, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Now it's a standard and it's become yes. really cool to see some of these people dump some money into shops. Yes. Now some of these ways that they're doing it are, fairly inexpensive compared to when it first started with people dressing up their shops. So now it's more affordable to do it, to make it look good. And it's the right thing to do in regards to presentation, but
1: hundred percent,
0: it allows you to actually make a living, make an income, have where you could have a lifestyle and a business. And it changes the game. Like you said, completely
1: hundred percent. And I think that over the past few years, we've, we've seen that and we continue to see that transition, uh, in the detailing industry from really this kind of like mom and pop, very DIY esque industry to like, whether it's the, uh, you know, I call them the Facebook brands, you know, these marketing companies that have started a detailing product company. Uh, but we're, we're really seeing, or maybe it's a mixture of coatings and more money being pumped into the industry as well. But we're seeing this like elevation of the detailing industry in a very, very positive direction. And so whether it is guys dressing up their shop and making them look very nice and not so homegrown um, yeah. or product brands that look very professional and not, you know, a printed out piece of paper with tape on it. And that's their label. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> in we, we've menu. seen <laughs> and their menu. Right. So we've seen a very uh, I think a very positive change and a very good trajectory for the detailing industry of becoming you know, something that can offer a lifestyle, can offer a, a real business, you know, and, and real money, real money, you know, which is exciting to see and really exciting to be a part of.
0: Yeah. And this is where it takes, I feel, the detailer trying to run a business to transition them into a business owner being a detailer.
1: You have to. And, and that would be my encouragement to any detailer listening is like, I think the biggest thing plaguing the detailing industry is that detailers don't run their business like a business and they don't focus on it as a business. They focus on, you know, their craft, which is great and, and paint correction or whatever you want it to be, which is phenomenal. And you obviously need to know how to do that. But I would argue more importantly, you need to know how to run a business. Yeah. You know, yeah. paint polishing is great, but it, you could teach it to someone else too, you know, and you could pay someone else by the hour to do that you know, and you can and they'll create
0: love a, every bit of their job
1: and they'll mm-hmm. love every bit of their job. Cause really at the end of the day, once you have, you know, I, this may be controversial to say it and you may not agree and that's fine, but, but paint polishing really it's a skill, but it's a teachable skill that is also repeatable. So in my book, you know, doing a paint correction or, or machine on paint is very, a low level, low paying job. You know, you could disagree. I'm totally fine with that. And people can disagree, but it's teachable in a uh, confined setting. And this is where having a shop helps, but yes. you can create a system within your shop that, hey, we use this pad, this machine, this polish. It's not going to work 100% of the time. Don't get me wrong. And there's going to be times where you have to step in and you as the professional with multiple years experience can help your employee However, I think you can create a repeatable process to paint correction um, that, that would take you out of it and, and you could graduate to a higher level of operating the business and getting higher paying clients, focus on sales, things like that versus sitting there behind a buffer all day.
0: Oh, I 100% agree. And that's, I got three guys for that reason. And I stood over them like a shadow. Yeah. You know, and that's what it takes. Not just hand them the polisher and saying, here, here you go. Let's let's see you screw something up. It's and no. it's incredibly difficult to, to relinquish way, that, that. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the thing. And, and being there in the mix, I think that's where a lot of people have the issue is they don't want to stand there and have to train somebody. They don't have patience. Right. Well, if you want to grow, that's what comes with it is right. patience. Pain and correction tr- is patience.
1: Pain correction is patience. And and I'm the you know, the first guy in line to say, look, it's easier if I just do it right? It's easier if I do it and not train someone, but that is not, uh, that is not sustainable long-term, you know, not if you want to grow, not if you want to grow and not everyone wants to grow and that's okay too, you know? So, so it all depends what you want, but I I don't want to be sitting behind a polisher. (laughs) I
0: don't 100% agree. It wears on your body. And over time, I mean, you know, inhaling everything that comes with that. It's just, it's, it's a good thing to get under your belt to be good at your craft and be top at your craft, but you could pass that along to somebody yep. who has, if you paint the same picture and give them the same vision and they're motivated, you could pass that along. It's a craft. They become a journeyman or you know right. a, an apprentice to say. And yep. that's how you bring them in, just like any other trade, being a plumber, being a roofer, you know, they sure. come in as journeyman or apprentice to learn the trade. And if they're a fit, great. If they're not, you move on to the next one. It's a numbers game sometimes. 100%. And that's just how it is with the world, right? Until you 100%. find the right guy.
1: But, um, it, that's how it goes. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> so what what what's the future looking like for Jimbo? What do you got going on now? And what are you looking forward to that you could speak on?
1: Oh man. I, uh, I, again, I just think that the detailing, I feel like we're worse and it has been brewing, but I've always felt like the detailing industry lags behind some other industries. Uh, and I guess I speak to beauty, the beauty industry a lot, not because I'm interested in it, but because my wife is, she's, she's a makeup artist. And so she's very much, uh, uh up to date with what's going on in the beauty industry. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, of comparables from the beauty industry to the detailing industry. And they're beautifying people's faces and making people I call it face painting, you know, but but essentially the same idea that we're doing with cars, just with people's faces. Absolutely. Right. And, and so uh, and the beauty industry is just a massive industry with. Tons of money and and tons of products and a ton of hype and BS, right? So a lot of comparables to the car washing or detailing industry. But what I'm starting to see is that the detailing industry is really becoming uh, a lot more mainstream, which is very very exciting. So uh, I'm excited to kind of play in that space of. Kind of innovation and watching this industry grow, and really becoming like you mentioned with guys fixing up their shops or or whatever or product brands or whatever. But I'm very um, very excited for the detailing industry, and I'm I'm excited to be a part of it. Whether it's creating content or doing cars or playing with these products or whatever it may be, I'm just excited to be a part of the industry, uh, and so thankful that uh, that I am to be able to see all this stuff you know, and, and just be right in the mix of it. I love it. It's so fun to see it go from homegrown to not corporate, but like see some money be be tossed in there, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. no, and you, so, you play a good part of that in a piece of the puzzle that makes it all one big picture.
1: Yeah, and it's so, fun.
0: It is. And would you have anything that you would want to tell any of the people watching this as, as a last uh, statement of any type?
1: Um, don't overthink it, man. Like keep it fun. You know, at the end of the day, when, you know, there's a big difference, and you know this just as well as I do, there's a big difference between detailers on the internet and detailers in person. And the detailing industry in real life is a group of awesome people, girls and guys. There's not a lot of drama. There's not a lot of strife. These people are awesome and, uh, you know, just just don't take it so serious. I think on the internet, sometimes we could take things and, and ourselves too serious. And at the end of the day, I think if you're in the detailing industry, you have one of the greatest jobs or opportunities in the world. We play with cars. We get to play with products. We get to do podcasts on Wednesday mornings, like, you know, or in the middle of the day, like, are yeah. you kidding me? Like we get to wear shorts and t-shirts and sunglasses and be cool. Like I'm this just is- wearing a shirt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm cold. So it's like 62 (laughs) degrees outside. So I'm a little cold, but, um, but yeah, it's a great industry, man. And if you want to be a part of it, be a part of it and it's, it really is awesome. So, but I think when people start taking themselves too serious or they lose perspective on what we're actually doing, uh, one, I think it hurts the industry a little bit because the majority of us are just cool people that like hanging out with each other. Uh, regardless of our product affiliations or whatever you know badges we may have or whatever. Um, so yeah, don't take yourself too serious. Have fun.
0: Awesome. Definitely, 100% agree. Um, so how would people find you, Jimbo?
1: All you have to do is go to autodetailingpodcast.com, that URL that I searched up way back in 2014 and thought, man, how can I make it easy for people to find me? And so yeah, just autodetailingpodcast.com. I have the links to all my other socials on there. And you could search Auto Detailing Podcasts on any, you know, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or YouTube or whatever you want, and I'll pop right up.
0: Anything outside of that with your business, how would they find you?
1: Um, they can go, just DM me or or you can email me, you know, jimbo at autodetailingpodcast.com or info me, like at- like your website? Yeah, jimbosdetailing.com. Gotcha. Um, I kind of try to have everything linked together to kind of make it as easy as possible to find me. Okay. Uh, so-
0: yeah, oh, that works easy. Yeah, I'm still
1: working on my Google search where you could just search Jimbo and I pop up. I've been working on that for a few years, but I have some other big leaguers like Jimbo Fisher and some actual celebrities that kind of take the ranking. So, but I'm still working on it. Gotta get creative
0: with that, right? That way when you I do get Google creative. image search, your face yes. pops up all the time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm still on page like 1084, <laughs> but you know, whatever, I'm working on it.
0: Oh, well, Jimbo, thank you. I appreciate you being on. This is our number six podcast. Awesome, man. We're, you know, breaking, breaking the waters in regards to how all this works and getting, you know, some good guests under our belt and you're one of them, of course. So awesome, man. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. I appreciate you having me. This is, it's always fun. I always look forward to it.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Jimbo, and everybody else who's out there who has watched. Uh, Thank you for watching another episode of reflection artists live and, If you have any questions, you know, you could reach out to any of our platforms, um, which would be any of the podcast platforms, mainly through Buff and Shine or the Reflection Artist page on social media. Um, So thanks again for watching, and everybody have a good rest of your Wednesday. Thanks, Jimbo. See ya. Thanks for tuning in this week to Reflection Artist Live. We hope you had fun and learned something new. If you missed an episode or are looking for more, check us out on our social media or podcast platforms. And join us next week when we have another amazing guest. Don't miss it. We'll be talking business, life, and detailing. Also, don't forget to check out BuffandShine.com for a variety of buffing pads and accessories for your detailing arsenal.